my daughter is watching uh, Sesame Street on YouTube now, and there will be songs that I haven't heard in 20 plus years, and I'm just singing them right along with her because I grew up on Sesame Street. Um, the songs stick in our heads uh, like that. Childhood songs or choruses or hymns, uh, I demonstrated that this morning uh, with My God is So Great, um, are so big, uh, and uh, that literally came into my mind as I was studying this. I didn't, I, I didn't like find that in a resource. Now, I did go on YouTube and check to make sure I had the lyrics right, and I wanted to get some of the motions. I, I didn't know, I didn't remember all the motions, but those things are, are stuck in our head. They, they, they get in there. Um, you can sing hymns if you've grown up on them, uh, because they're just in your head, they're, they're memorized. Um, mnemonic devices are used often for memory aids to help us remember things. So if you have to uh, do something for school, you've got to memorize a lot of stuff. Oftentimes we use a sing-songy sort of way. Um, when I started learning uh, Greek in seminary, and actually if you talk to A.J. Bessie, he's learning Greek right now as well, uh, there's a CD that has paradigms for the Greek it, to, to song. So I learned the Greek alphabet to song like I learned the uh, English alphabet to song. And so that was very helpful because we learn things in singing a lot differently than we learn them by rote or, or by reading. Um, and so that's kind of just the introduction to this. The popularity of the Psalms, I just kind of thought through some of these. Um, these are in your notes. Familiar, familiarity. Um, a lot of the Psalms we learn at a very young age. Um, they're repeated to us. A lot of psalms are on the wall in your house or, or in a plaque or in a, they're, they're in a beautiful picture. And there's, there's the psalms. They, they are around us in that way. Um, they're directly applicable in some ways that other portions of Scripture aren't necessarily. Um, they're easy to apply. They're easy to just kind of... We're, we're going to talk about not doing this, but they're easy to go... Brrr, Open up, a, open up a psalm and immediately interact with the text. Whereas sometimes you get to, um, so if, you, if you got to Daniel and you open to Daniel chapter 7, you're not going to directly go, oh, yeah, exactly. I'll go out and practice that. Some portions of scripture are, are difficult and a little more, I think a little more work to apply. Uh, they're honest and sometimes pretty raw. And that speaks to our um, emotions. Sometimes when you're having a bad day and someone quotes scripture to you from the epistles, it's not sometimes generally not as helpful as a psalm. Um, if someone tells you, you know, the, well, the fruit of the Spirit is patience, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Can I hit you now? Right. Um, but sometimes the psalms speak to our more honest emotions and our raw feelings. Uh, the Psalms abound in word pictures, so we remember them. There's things like still waters, right? Uh, as far as the east is from the west, that he's like a tree. Your word is a lamp, a light. Uh, God is a refuge and strength. And these word pictures help us to remember as well because they're often unique or they often are stated in ways that relate God to something that we can understand. So we understand that God is not a rock, but what, like a rock, is God? Well, he can withstand things. And so that helps us to, to make these um, connections. So a little talk about the popularity of the Psalms. Now we talk about the context of the Psalms. This is where um, we need to do a little study because sometimes we ignore the little words at the beginning of the Psalms that are there to help us. And those offer context as well as some other things. Uh, it's good to know the Psalms are musical poems. But they're musical poems written in another language that most of us don't know. And so any of you that are bilingual or are learning another language, 
things don't come into the other language one for one. Um, and so there's, there's, a, there's, there's a change when it gets into another language. So most of us have grown up, poetry rhymes, right? You're not going to get that in the Psalms, um, except for incidentally here and there. Uh, and, and that's not what Hebrew poetry was about. And so we have to realize that there are musical poems um, that we don't necessarily sing. We don't know the original arrangements, but they were originally written that way. That helps us understand the context. That these are not just words on a page. They were lyrics. Um, poetry was highly prized in the ancient world, especially in the Near East, um, as sort of an elevated way of, of communicating, as a higher way, and it helped people memorize things better than prose. It helped people memorize things. So we've already talked about that a little bit. But as you put it to song, as it's in poetry, um, some of the devices of poetry help us to remember things a little better. Uh, the emotion and the action, rather than doctrine and logic, are presented. Now, that's not to say that there's no doctrine and, there's, and there, that the Psalms are illogical. <laughs> um, the point is that some genres are more given to making a logical argument, tracing out the arguments, syllogistic sometimes. Um, the, the Psalms are usually more emotion and action-oriented. Um, so there are things that are not literally true, that are said in the Psalms, but they're hyperbole. They're um, helping us to understand their word picture. So the mountains aren't really leaping like goats, okay? But you don't read it and go, wow, the mountains were leaping like goats? You don't do that because you understand it's a Psalm. It's not an epistle. Now, if Paul said, now Galatians, I'm sitting here in prison and the mountains are skipping around me like goats. That's, that's a completely foreign concept to that genre. It's, it's totally different. So we need to understand the context. See, there's purposeful metaphor. Uh, I kind of touched on that. Mountains leaping, swords coming out of mouths. Nobody reading that would have thought, wow, a sword came out of your mouth? How did you keep that in there? Um, God as a shepherd, um, a fortress, a shield. These word pictures, God is not a shield, but God is like a shield, or God is our shield, or the attributes of God are shield-like. Um, so that, those are helpful for us to remember as we dive into the Psalms because there are places in the Psalms where people have taken them literally as if they're a different genre than they are and started to teach some very interesting things. For example, um, a word faith preacher once said he could, he could tell you how big God was because somewhere in the Psalms it talks about the span of his hand. And, and just talking, what's going on is the metaphor is to say God is really big. Um, but he took the measurement, well, if we measured this, and God's hand must be this big, and if his hand's that big, generally a people with that hand are this big, and this is how big God is. Well, that's not what's trying to be said. In the, it's trying to say God's big. <laughs> he's bigger than you. Uh, but, but because he's bigger than you, we're trying to use human concepts for you to understand these things. So we've got to be very careful. Uh, the Psalms have many different authors. So David wrote 73 of them. Okay, so almost half. Solomon wrote two. Uh, Moses wrote one. We read that this morning. Uh, Asaph wrote 12. Uh, the sons of Korah wrote 10. Um, and we got other guys, my, one of my favorite names in the Bible. It's not called He-Man, but it's very tempting to read it that way. He-Man, the Ezraite, wrote one. And Ethan, the Ezraite, also wrote one, which leaves us with 50 that are anonymous. That's important. When you open up a psalm, it's helpful to know who wrote it. 
right? So if you, if you open up a newspaper and you read an opinion article, an editorial, it's really helpful to know who's writing it to understand where they're coming from. Why would they say something like that? Oh, well, they're from this persuasion or this is how they think. Um, so we come to the Psalms understanding the, the authorship matters. Uh, then we need to talk about the use of Psalms in Israel. Uh, they were used in a specific way. So you may not know this, but if you look closely in your Bible, the Psalms are organized into five books, which means um, they were some, at a later point, probably some editor was piecing together these Psalms and putting them into a coherent order to help um, in singing. That's why um, when you have a hymnal, the, the hymns are numbered rather than just randomly throwing them on pages. It's to help organize and, and place them, sometimes thematically. Uh, most of them seem to be formally structured for corporate worship. Um, so especially if you think in the tabernacle or the temple, if you read through some of those really boring passages in Kings and Chronicles, it has lists and lists and lists and lists of people that their job was leading public worship in the temple. So 55 of our Psalms have a little uh, script right before and says, for the choir director. Okay? There are other musical terms that are used and even sometimes instruments. That This song is meant to be played on the whatever. Okay? The harp and the lyre. The, there's other ones we don't even know what they are, but there's specific instruments. There's terms like selah okay, or a maskil, things we don't really quite know exactly what they mean, but they seem to be musical terms. Uh, another thing that's helpful is in the early church, when we get to the New Testament, they really easily adopt the psalms into their worship. So Paul says in both Colossians and Ephesians that we're to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, and throughout the history of the church, the, the church has adopted um, the Jewish uh, psalms into their worship. Now that has created some interpretive difficulties at some points, but um, because of what we see as the, the transfer of uh, God working in, in the, the people of Israel to God working in the church made up of more than just the people of Israel. See that the early church was able to adopt these psalms. So we don't just throw them away. Right? Well, people used them thousands of years ago to worship Yahweh and that was before Jesus came. So because we see the New Testament also uses the psalms quite a bit. Okay, types of psalms. Now this is, again, this is like the attributes. No one has the same list because everyone wants to break down the different psalms and the different kinds. So um, high schoolers, I apologize, this is different than what we taught in the summer, but this is what the, the book taught, and this is one of the ways you could break down the psalms. So the most common psalm is a lament, something that we don't normally do um, in worship. You may not, we usually don't sing lament songs um, on Sunday worship, but these are the most common psalms. Um, and then this is the way that Dr. Russell breaks them down in the book, there's lament psalms. There's some that are individual that are very personal. And there's some that are just for the nation, um, communally. Um, then there are also songs of trust that are laments, but they're not completely despairing. Um, so only one psalm really has no hope. So Psalm 88 is a tough psalm to read because there's no glimmer of hope. But every other lament says something like, where are you, God? What's going on? How long are you going to let this happen to me? This stinks. Uh, but then at the end, I'll say something, but I trust you, but you're God. Um, and so that's what the songs of trust would be. And again, those are individual and communal. Number two is declarative praise. Um, these would include Thanksgiving psalms, enter his courts with Thanksgiving, okay? Um, many psalms do that. They, they uh, talk about being thankful for what God has done. 
those would be individual and communal as well. Number three is descriptive praise. So see the difference? Declarative is just saying, God, you're great. Okay? I thank you for this. Descriptive praise kind of breaks down a little different way. And this is the way Dr. Russell has described them as hymns. Um, hymns written to God. And then there's some that are specifically about God's kingship. And they focus on some different aspects of that. There are some that they call the songs of Zion that focus on um, Jerusalem and focus on God's presence in Jerusalem in a special way. And then there are royal psalms, some psalms that are actually dedicated, it looks like either written to or about the king of Jerusalem, the king of God's people. So those may have been written for special times of inauguration, of a, of a, a transition from one king to the other, and they'd sing the royal psalms, um, which focus somewhat on the man, but go further than the man to the God who's placed that man on the throne. Uh, the didactic psalms which basically just means teaching. They're written, they're written in more of a way that you're going to teach. So some songs are written specifically to teach you about the content that's in the song. Um, and so there's a wisdom psalm, Psalm 1. Okay, blessed is the man who's like this, and this is how the, the other people are, and this is how these people are, and that's a wisdom uh, they sound a lot like the Proverbs and um, Ecclesiastes, sound a little bit like Job. Um, there's some Psalms that are like Torah, okay, which is the law, um, the instruction of the Israelites. So if you go to Psalm 119, the longest Psalm, right, it's 176 verses, um, you see that often throughout there it says, how I love your law. Your law is like this. Your law does this. Like, your law is like, and it just continues to talk about the Torah, glorying in what God has given. And I love C. And there's others. <laughs> they just kind of, they don't quite fit the other paradigms. And so we just slap them on others. <laughs> so those are some of the types of Psalms. So realize when you go into a Psalm, if you had a, if you thought it was a declarative praise Psalm and it's a lament, you're going to, whoa, what's going on here? Because it's a lot different than I thought it was going to be. So we need to understand that. Some general things to recognize that are helpful, the most helpful thing in understanding a po- poetry from another culture thousands of years ago is parallelism. Okay, so follow me on this one. Um, think of a parallel, okay, something that, if in math, something that's parallel to something else. Um, there's synonymous parallelism in the scriptures. So the second line will repeat the idea in the first. Okay, so it's a synonym. It's, it's repeating the idea. So here's one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Next line. Whose sin is covered. Okay, so it's, it's saying the same thing with different words. It may have different nuances. It may be saying it from a different angle. But it's saying basically the same thing. You'll see that often in the scriptures. You'll see two or three lines where it's one concept repeated. It's a parallel. There's antithetical parallelism parallelism, where the second line is the opposite of the first. So this is helpful, right? We do this in our teaching. We say, this is good and this is bad, right? Those are the two lines. We present things in ways that show, if this is what I want you to do, this is what I don't want you to do, okay? It's, it's parallel in that sense. So many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So it's antithetical. They, they are opposites, You'll, you'll notice that. Uh, and these are things that we, we understand as we read them. We kind, of, we kind of know these things intuitionally, but it's helpful to actually flesh them out and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's how that works. That's how that looks. Um, see, there's... Oh, I, hmm, I forgot the formatting there. Synthetic. 
The second line develops the idea of the first. So the first line will say something, the second line will develop it. So like this, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Okay, so it's developing. Well, what would be a time when you may be found? Well, surely in the rush of great waters is a, is a time that develops the idea. So the second line develops the idea of the first. Those ones are a little bit harder to see. Um, D, specifying, these are nice. Second line makes the first line's idea more specific. So it's, this is related to synonymous, but it, it's, it's specifying. So it's taking a general concept and zooming in. So blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And then we get deeper, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Okay, so we go from iniquity, sin. Well, what kind of sin? Deceit. Okay, so specifying uh, in the parallelism. And the last one, the intensifying. This one, the second line restates the first one in a more potent way. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Okay, so again, a little more general. Heavy hand on somebody. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Just, it's, it's more, it's, it's intensified. You can feel the summer heat bearing down on the person. So it intensifies, second line intensifies the first one. And as you read the Psalms, you'll see these very clearly. Uh, and this is their primary way of structuring their poetry, is parallelism. And you'll, you'll see it throughout. In fact, almost all of those, if not all of those examples, are from one Psalm. Okay, so Psalm 32. Um, and so it was a conscious, um, cultural way of speaking. So as we read the Psalms, we've got to keep those in mind. Um, because we don't, we do use parallelism, but we don't tend to use it as specifically as they did and as, uh, with, with as much purpose. Um, so a lot of the way that they taught, memorized, sang, worshipped was by parallelism. Okay, second, we've got to know the historical context. Um, this will be hammered home. <laughs> it has been already and throughout the series. But historical context is very important. So some psalms will give the historical context in the title to the psalm. Okay, so I'm looking at Psalm 102 right now. And uh, now the translators, the, the people that made the ESV, have added their own title. Okay, but... Um, the Hebrews put a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So it, it kind of gives the context of what's going on. Now, um, you'll see even this. Psalm 54 says, this psalm was when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? And if you've got a, a good Bible, doesn't sound right. If you've got, uh, if you've got a Bible with notes and with, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Study Bible, cross-references, thank you. Uh, it'll take you to the part where probably in 1 Samuel or 1 Chronicles this is actually happening. So you can go, oh, this was written here, and then you could turn back in your Bible, read the circumstances, and then understand the psalm was written in those circumstances. So this helps to know, oh, David was hiding and the Ziphites betrayed him. Or Psalm 142, when he was in the cave. <laughs> okay, so then you start to imagine... Okay, he was in a cave. Um, unless he was spelunking, he was probably hiding. So this is the context of the psalm, when he was in the cave. So what would you feel like if you were in the cave? Also, we know the story of David. Um, he was on the run for Saul for 10 years. Caves are good places to hide. 
when you're on the run. So it gives us some historical context. Um, we need to read and relate with emotion. Some of, the, some of us, this is really easy. Some of this, this is going to take a little bit more work. Um, but if you read the Psalms, and, and sometimes we need to step away from our preconceived notions or things that we remember of the Psalms, and we just read them for what they are, they are intense. Um, there's some stuff, he said that? Uh, and this creates a lot of the problems we have with the Psalms in our culture because the Psalms sometimes are seen as um, these kind of like soft, lit, very green, a shepherd taking a flock through the green fields and it's beautiful and uh, that's how we feel. Well, if some people have that, that understanding and then they read a Psalm that is not like that, like, what is this? What is going on here? And so we see intense and honest emotion in the psalm, in the Psalms, like we don't see most other places in the scriptures. And that leads us into the imprecatory psalms. Um, the imprecatory psalms. Uh, imprecatory, it comes from a word that means it's a spoken curse. So an imprecation is a spoken curse upon someone or something. Uh, skeptics and atheists and others will use the imprecatory psalms. Richard Dawkins does this. Christopher Hitchens did this before he died um, to discredit Christianity and Judaism. They'll take these psalms and they'll use them as bludgeons against the belief system um, of Christians or Jews. So here's one. This is the toughest one. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he, shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Okay, now imagine you're, you, you are talking to someone about Christianity. They have no background. You give them a Bible, they open to Psalm 137. How are they going to feel when they read that? Horrified. What is this? That's difficult. What do we do with that? What do we do with that passage? Um, I have little ones. I can imagine them being dashed against the rocks. That's terrible. What's going on here? Well, everyone has, every Bible interpreter and pastor and preacher has struggled with how to get through these because this is not the only place. This is probably the most explicit, worst one, but you've got all kinds uh, of scriptures that say, I hate them, God, kill them, take vengeance on them, let, uh, you know, some saying like, uh, let his wife be a widow. Okay, like, what's he saying there? Okay, he wants him to die. And it's said throughout. And usually we don't take these seriously unless we're in a bad situation in life. We're like, yeah! Then we kind of resonate with it that way. I know a guy who uses the imprecatory psalms to pray against President Obama. And I just don't, I don't think that's a, a helpful or Christian way of looking at him. But there are different ways to interpret the imprecatory psalms. How do we apply this to um, our day? Um, we must be cautious. That's the first thing. Cautious and wise in our use of the imprecatory psalms. Okay, so approaching the imprecatory psalms without context and just laying into people is not helpful and not biblical. But they're still in the Bible, so what do we do with them? <laughs> well, um, Dr. Russell talks through this and he says they help the authors and they help us to express, help authors and they help us to express our emotions honestly to God. So that's first of all. Um, sometimes we, we get emotionally constipated because we're like, I, should, I shouldn't feel like that. I shouldn't say that. When all the time it's just like, 
building and building and building and building, but we don't feel like we can express it. We don't feel like, because if I say that, that that's, that's not Christian. That's not good. That's not right. And again, there's a fine line there because it very well may be not right <laughs> and not Christian. Um, but expressing ourselves honestly to God is actually a, a helpful thing if done rightly. And they also, uh, the pass the desire for revenge onto God. So it's, it's never, I wish I could strangle that guy, okay? Which is sometimes where our thoughts go, right? I want to nail him. I want to do that. Okay, that's where our thoughts go. The, the imprecatory Psalms never go to, God, give me a sword so I might smite him. They go, basically, God, are you going to take care of this? Please take care of this. God, can you take care of this? Do this. You do this. Which, if you think about it, lines up with New Testament um, teaching on revenge, right? Paul says, don't take revenge. Leave it to God. Okay? Vengeance, which we'll talk about in the attributes of God when we talk about wrath, is a very good thing for God to be doing. And we ought to rejoice in the fact that God does it rightly because we don't do it well. We do not take revenge well. And so part of what um, scholars help us to see is that the imprecatory Psalms um, may be helpful in getting it out of our hands. Okay, God, you take care of it. Uh, also, th- this leads right into point five. The church is not Israel. Okay? The church is not Israel. That's really, really important. Um, there has been further revelation since the Psalms were written. Okay? Call it progressive revelation. We, we know more. We are blessed because we have this whole thing. Okay? Um, the Israelites, when the Psalms were being written, um, did not possess the full revelation of God. Um, so we know further, we know more, what's able to help us apply these things. Um, Jesus came and established a church made up of all peoples, not just Jews. So we get these tensions between the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God working through a people um, to reach peoples. In the New Testament, God is using the church made up of all peoples to reach all peoples. Um, he's, not, he's not dictating anymore like he did in the Old Testament how their government was to work or how their economy was to work. So there's a big difference between how Israel was set up and how the church is set up. The New Testament um, differs in that way with the Old Testament because God was working in a different dispensation with a specific people and now he is working with the church in a different way. So we've got to remember that. You are not David. There are some things you can relate to David with, but you're not David. Especially you're not David the king. That's really helpful for us to remember. Also, read the Psalms as they were written by and for the OT Israelites before reading them for yourself. Again, this is context. They weren't written to you. You weren't around. Um, So understand it first as a try to understand it as much as possible as it would have been understood by the people that were alive when they were written or whom they were written to or for before we directly apply. Because a lot of times that's where things get skewed. Um, because we skip over. And it's almost like we think that, boom, this thing plopped down right in front of us today for the very first time. and Oh, it's written to me. It's written for you. It was written to somebody else. So understand what it was written to somebody else about. So a test case might be Psalm 8. And this is what the book uses. Um, Psalm 8 is really helpful. If you want to turn there real quick, uh, I'm just going to breeze through this one so we can get to Psalm 42, which is what we're going to be going through in our groups. 
Psalm 8 is only nine verses long. It's very familiar. Uh, it's also a song. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic. It, right? So that, that's, that's exactly where this came from. Just took it right out of the psalm. There's no historical context other than it, the author is David, and you're supposed to play it according to the Gatith, which we don't know what that is. Um, so there's not a lot of help there for us at the very beginning of the psalm. Dives right in. So what we want to do is we want to look at the tone. What's the tone of the psalm? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic. Okay? I think that song kind of gives us a little bit of the tone of the psalm. And then you look and you say, David is saying, look at the heavens. Wow, look at God made. How could man matter? But he does. And this is what God, you've done to man. So the, the tone of the psalm is disbelief, is, is utter thankfulness for a great, a great God. That's helpful for us to note. Um, and then we want to focus on which type of psalm might this be. Is it declarative praise? We don't have time for that right now, but that's really helpful to understand the psalm. What, what type of psalm is this? It doesn't seem to be a lament. There's no lamenting. Okay? Um, so we, know we need to go through our other categories. Also look at the parallelism in verses 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars. Okay? See the parallelism there? He says, the work of the, the heavens, general, and then the moon and the stars. Verse 4, what is man that you were mindful of him? That was good enough. But he also adds, and the son of man that you care for him. So we look at what kind of parallelism that is. And the same thing happens in verses 6 through 8. Also, I look at the repetition. Look at verse 1. Oh, I got that wrong up there. And then look at verse 9. They should look fairly similar. In fact, they should be exact. Um, that's a very big clue to what the theme of the psalm is when there's clear repetition like that. Okay, so again, scratching the surface, hoping to introduce you to some concepts. So again, this is not doing it justice, but hopefully go home. Some of you may be reading through the psalms. Put this into practice as you go home and you do your daily Bible reading and you're reading the psalms.